Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we're going to continue with our series, Bigger Than Me. Bigger Than Me. Will you say those words with me? Say, Bigger Than Me. Bigger Than Me. Last week, so we started this series, we looked at Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, specifically chapter 12, where Paul teaches the local body of believers at, at Corinth that they are part of the body of Christ. And we looked at, at three things, the need for the body, the responsibility of the body, and the strength of the body. And when you recognize that your personal relationship with Christ is bigger than you, it will move beyond just being personal. It's a personal decision but it puts you in the body of Christ, and now everything that we do affects all of us. As Jesus promised, together we will do greater things. Amen? Amen. Together we will do greater things. Somebody say, better together. Amen. We are better together. Amen? Amen? With you in my life, I get to do a whole lot more than what I would just standing on an island by myself spiritually. We are better together. Early one Sunday morning, there was a father that was leading his, his family, his wife and his two sons, in their morning devotions. And the topic for that day was the love of Christ. While the father was sharing the devotion and with his sons, the mother was, was uh, cooking pancakes and listening in on what was being said. And when the first batch of pancakes was ready, she placed it in front of the youngest son for him to eat. The older son looked at his younger brother and he said, didn't you listen to what daddy was just teaching us? He says, we are to be like Jesus. He said, we are to put others ahead of ourselves. To which the younger son replied, well, then you be Jesus. <laughs> How many of you want to be Jesus? Amen. I want to be the body of Christ. I want to be what the world sees. If, if, if I'm the only opportunity that they have to see Jesus, Lord, let me represent you in the way that you deserve to be represented. Amen. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again. Today we're going to continue with the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and, and the urgent message that Paul had for that local body of believers. Remember, everything that he is saying certainly applies to the global church, but he was writing it specifically to a local church. He was writing to the Corinthians, and, and the, the things that he was addressing with them, it was specific to that church, but it it is something that I believe every church needs to take note of, and it's something that we certainly need to look at. And, and, and I, I want to say this before I preach this today. This is not aimed at anyone. This is preventive maintenance for us as a church. That's what this is. I think that we have the, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, and, and I think we, we read those and we look at the warnings and we make sure that we become like them in the positive ways and we, we steer away from the things that Paul was preaching to them in the negative ways and it puts us in check. So this is preventive maintenance for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to start reading at verse 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So it's still continuing in that same vein. He said, here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? 
Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Just stop right for a moment. We're going to come back to this in just a second. But, but listen to what he says. Let me show you a way of life that is best of all. This is it, church. This is that moment. You've been waiting all year for someone to share this with you right here. Paul is about to show us what matters the most. This is the secret of life. Paul is saying, this is what matters the most. Out of everything that you've heard, this is what matters the most. If there ever was a message that is more perfect for the day that we live in, this is it right here. This is the message that we need. Paul says, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And now remember, there are no chapters in this letter. The chapters and the verse numbers are added for your easy uh, referencing. And so whenever I tell you to turn to a certain page, or, or turn to a certain chapter rather, uh, uh, it's easy for you to find that. And so this is just a continuous letter. So when Paul says, let me show you this better way of life that is, is best for all, uh, we go right into verse 1 of the, of the next chapter and it says, I, I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Are you hearing this, church? Are you listening to what the Apostle Paul is saying? If I had the ability to memorize the entire Bible from Marriages to maps, the entire thing. If I had the ability to preach in every language on earth and even in a heavenly language, if I had an understanding of eschatology and the exact date that Jesus Christ is going to return, if I had an abundance of faith even possible to move mountains, but I don't have love, I am useless to the body of Christ. Verse 3. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Listen to his words here, church. Love is patient and kind. <clears throat> love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude it does not demand its own way it is not irritable but it keeps no record of being wrong I, I feel like there are churches that just are just like disqualified right, right through here like there, there's Christians that once you start applying this right here it's like Okay, are, are you sure you're part of the same Bible I am? Verse 6 says, It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices wherever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy 
and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. Then Paul starts talking about maturity. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Would you say those words with me? The greatest of these is love. This has to get into our spirit today. I want all of us to walk out of this room changed because of God's word. Say it with me again. The greatest of these is love. Of everything that Paul just described, and there's some great, great stuff there, some wonderful spiritual gifts. But he says the greatest of, of everything is, is love. Notice that Paul did not say the greatest of these is love except during COVID-19. The greatest of these is love except during election year. Oh, I know I'm going to mess with some of you today, okay? The greatest of these is love except when my worldview is better than your worldview, at least in my mind it is. Church, we don't get to pick and choose when it's a good time to love. If he says they're going to know us by the way that we love one another, then we don't get to take a hiatus, a break, a vacation from love. Oh man, this, this is a good message for political season, isn't it? I'm afraid that we all too often disconnect from what is referred to as chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the love chapter. That's what it's called. Because we often hear it read at weddings. And I use it at, at, at most weddings. I'll read from 1 Corinthians 13. And though it certainly does apply to marriage, I, I, I think that it does. Paul is not speaking about marriage here. I know I'm messing up your theology right now because most of you in the room thought that, man, when Paul speak, is speaking about, you know, love is patient, love is kind, he's, he's talking about, you know, that's how we're supposed to, to treat our spouse. We haven't figured that out yet either, but we're going to keep moving on. But um, he's speaking to the church in Corinth that love is greater than all the spiritual gifts. Listen, I grew up in Pentecostal worship, extreme Pentecostal worship. I've seen gifts used in the church that would scare some of you half to death, okay? But in that, in that same sense, the same people that were using all the spiritual gifts, I've seen some of the meanest people I've ever seen in church. And there was no love. And, and it's not by coincidence that, that, that Paul writes it this way in his letter because th this chapter, the love chapter, and again, there's no chapters. It's just one continuous letter. But what we call the love chapter 
It is sandwiched between chapter 12, which is Paul's explanation of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, and chapter 14, which is an in-depth look at prophecy and tongues. And right in between these teachings, he throws in this love chapter because Paul knew that the church needed to realize that love matters more than anything else. God's love is bigger than me. Why does this matter more than anything else? Why? Why is this so important? Because love is what God is. It's not what he does. Love is what God is. It's not what he does. You, you don't use the word love to describe God, or at least you shouldn't. It's not a description of God. You use the word love to talk about the DNA of God. It's who he is, and, and you can't change DNA. You might describe me as, as nice, rude, thoughtful, thoughtless, self-centered, selfless, caring, committed, or crazy. And I think over the past seven months, I've been called all of those things. <clears throat> but those are descriptions about me and my personality. If I tried hard enough and if I wanted to, I could change those descriptors. But when you get into my DNA makeup, it's who I am. And you can't change that. I am a white man. You know that, right? I am a white man. I can't change my sex. Oh, we don't have time for that. Let me move right on. <laughs> I am a McKinley. The older I get, the more and more I look like my father. Nose and all. There's no denying it. It's in my DNA. You can't change that. And God is love. It's not a descriptor. It's who he is. And you can try and paint God in a different light all that you want. And trust me, people are doing it. And you can try and paint God however it fits your agenda but, and you can try and convince humanity that God is this angry tyrant that hates sinners. But the fact is, God is love and he loves those sinners. And the church has blown it for years. And, and, and we, we, we've come down hard on people, bashing them with the Bible when we don't even understand it ourselves. Because if we really get it and we really understand it, we really want to live this thing out, we will approach sin with a different approach. Jesus was hard on the religious he showed grace and mercy and love to the sinners. When no one else from the religious part of society wanted to have dinner with them, he had dinner with them and was ridiculed for it. Man, if I, if, if I have to go down with insults, if I have to go down with criticism, let me go down as being a friend of sinners because that's what my Savior was. Amen? 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Do you hear that? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
When Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he wrote these words in chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He said, and many of you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You see, when we experience the width, the length, the height, and the depth of his love for us, then and only then will we be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. I, I am reminded of something that I, I mentioned uh, about two and a half months ago, and, and I, I believe BJ and Tequila, it was the Sunday that, that we interviewed each other up here on stage, and, and uh, there was... It was part of our summer Sabbath series. But let me just talk to you briefly about it because there's something very important that I think you need to understand. It's in Luke chapter 10 where this lawyer asked Jesus, he said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And if you remember this story, Jesus looks at him and he says, well, you've got to love the Lord your God. He says, you've got to love him with, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and all your mind. He says, that's what you've got to do. You want eternal life? You've got to love the Lord your God. And then he offers unsolicited uh, uh, step two in this, in this process. He says, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and this lawyer, he, he, he was a good lawyer. Well, there's an oxymoron, right? <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We've got, I've got lawyer friends in our church. They're good, good, good people of God. I'm, I'm completely joking for those two. But everybody else. Um, but... This guy's a good lawyer, and so, you know, lawyers, what, what they like to do is, is they like to look for loopholes, loopholes. And so Jesus says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, then you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy says, all right, describe that for me. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Looking for a loophole in this whole thing. This is what happens when we know that we are wrong. We like to justify ourselves and we look for a loophole. The Bible says that, that desiring to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to, to justify his actions here. Because his limited circle of friends included people that looked like him, believed like him, voted like him, and dressed like him. I did not expect one amen there. The people he did life with were a lot like him. And in his mind, those are my neighbors. And so to avoid the loophole, Jesus begins sharing the parable of the Good Samaritan, another oxymoron to a Jew, because there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. Jews hated them. So to a Jew... The last person you want being the hero of the story is a Samaritan. And Jesus begins telling that parable. He says there was a certain man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. The fact that he was traveling from Jerusalem meant that he was a Jew. He said there's a certain man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while he was on the road, some thieves came by and took his, took his money and beat him up, stripped him, left him on the side of the road dead. So the guy's sitting there laying on the side of the road dead, and he says, and along comes a priest. Says he comes by, looks at him, and keeps on walking. 
He says, then a Levite comes by him. These are the religious ones. He takes a good look at him and just ignores the fact that this man's laying on the side of the road dying. But then a Samaritan comes by. Someone that doesn't dress like him, look like him, vote like him, act like him. And he stops and he tends to this man's wounds. He goes as far as to take him into the city and pay for his hotel and for someone to clean him up and to take care of him. He goes out of his way to love this man. Have you ever been in need and the people that you thought that would be there for you are nowhere to be found? Yeah, me too. The priest didn't stop for this Jewish brother. The Levite didn't stop for this Jewish brother, but the Samaritan did. And while the lawyer was looking for a loophole, Christ is convicting his heart. Like he's doing with some of us right now. We're living life searching for loopholes on how I can hate somebody because their agenda is different from mine. And we don't understand. Now listen, I, I want you to hear me out on this. I, I think sometimes some of you uh, misunderstand what I'm telling you. I don't have a problem with you having a political agenda. Lord, God has a political agenda. That, that's, that, that's a sermon for another day. I don't have a problem with you having a political agenda. But at the moment it starts attacking, tearing down. See, we've allowed the world to dictate how we're going to fight this thing. We've allowed the world to, to put in our minds that unless we can attack people and we can say things that hurt people. Man, I challenge you. You're going to put something political up. Put up why it's a good, a good thing, why it's a good reason, and stop trying to tear everybody else down. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, the, 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 the best two candidates are doing it, you know, and why can't, if, they're, if they're doing that, why do we have to? If they jump off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge too? Because they're, ju they're jumping, okay? And the problem is everybody's following. Well, I expect the world to do that. It's perfectly fine to say, look, this is something that matters to me. It's perfectly fine for that. God, Lord, are you sure? <sighs> There's not a problem with you saying, I want to stand up for the unborn. But you don't have to tear everybody else down in the process. There's not a problem with you saying black lives matter and tear Everybody else down in the process, you're ruining what's happening. There's not a problem with, with saying, I stand with law enforcement. But don't tear, tear everybody else down in the process. And what we're all doing is we're jumping on this bandwagon and we're letting the world teach us how to fight these battles when we need to start allowing the Holy Spirit to work through love because there's a way that we can express. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a way that we can express all of this. And do it in love, and it's going to go farther than, than our hate ever will. I know there's at least five of you that this is your last service. You won't be back. You got me into this. While the lawyer was looking for a loophole, 
Christ was convicting his heart. Let's don't get above that. And the day I stopped feeling conviction is the day that I stopped growing. And this is on such a small scale, but, but and God just pouring into me right now, and I think this is important. This past Monday night, we, or past Monday rather, we, we filmed a mission service here and, and there was nobody here. It was a, just a virtual thing for, for a state event and we were, we were letting them use our facility. And my son was running sound and I was actually running the cameras. I was sitting in the back room running the cameras and, and we were all here just, just serving on, on Monday just trying to get this done for them. And I walked out of that room, and I came, and, and the music's blaring, everything's, and I, I looked at my son, and I'm telling you, I, I barked at him. I did. I, I, I even snapped my fingers at my son, who was a grown man, in a tense moment when I knew that, that the volume was about to spike on this one particular singer. I wanted to make sure that he was paying attention, and I, I was like, listen, listen, seriously? If it was another volunteer in the sound booth, do you think I would snap my fingers at them? Man, I made it through that. We got into the evening, and I told my wife. I said, I owe my son an apology. So I called him. It's the most freeing thing for me when I realize that I've done something wrong and I step up to the plate and take ownership of it and say I was wrong. And what's happening right now is none of us, none of us, in this politically charged climate, none of us will step up to the plate and say, I've handled this the wrong way. Let me try it a different way. Let me approach this with love. Because if lives matter every color, if lives matter from the, from the cradle to the grave, whatever our argument is in all of that, We've got to learn to present it with love because God is love and there is no loophole in love. You can search for it all you want to, but there is no loophole, <clears throat> excuse me, there is no loophole in love. Listen to what Paul said again, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. See if this applies to your Facebook. Love is patient. Oh, that's, that's as far as I have to go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You see, in America, we have two big problems. We either want to speak the truth without love, or we want love without truth. And both of those things are, are a problem 
it, one without the other, it, it's a recipe for disaster. You want to know why it feels like we're crashing and burning right now? It's because we are either speaking the truth without love or we are loving without truth. And if you love without truth, you will find yourself blinded by sin and approving a lifestyle that is in direct opposition to how God designed us if you love without truth. And, and if you speak truth without love, you become nothing more than what Paul described as a clanging symbol. I'm going to save you. I thought about it. I thought, you know, I'm a former drummer. I thought about just going over there and making a racket right now, but I feel like I've got you right here, so I'm just going to. Church, you can be right in theory and wrong in practice at the same time. That is truth without love. When you are right in theory but wrong in practice, Paul told the church in, in Ephesus, he said, rather speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's where we've got to get to because truth without love is not of God. It is divisive and it is offensive. Truth with love, it's full of grace. Truth with love is full of mercy. It is full of forgiveness. Truth with love is God. And his love it's greater than me. Somebody say that with me. His love is greater than me. Say it again. His love is greater than me. You know, his love is greater than my politics. His love is greater than my opinions. His love is greater than my conspiracy theories. His love is greater than my offenses. You know that, right? Thank God that his love is greater. His love is greater than their mistakes. His love is greater than their shortcomings. His love is greater than their failures. His love is greater, amen? Oh, but let's get personal with this. His love is greater than my mistakes. Oh, you see, you missed a perfect opportunity to shout me down right there. His love is greater than my mistakes. His love is greater than my shortcomings. His love is greater than my failures. That he loved me so much that he chose not to find a loophole with his love and he loved me right through it. Christ prayed in a garden minutes before he was going to be arrested and eventually stretched out high on a cross. You want to talk about finding out the height depth of his love? This is it right here. And he mentions in a prayer, he's praying to his heavenly father and he mentions this loophole. And he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He's mentioning a loophole. This is a, a, is a temptation. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But there's no loophole in love. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross is what the word says. Have you come to the understanding yet that you are his pride and his joy? You're the joy that was set before him. And he loved you through all of your shortcomings, failures, and sin. And if he loved me through all of my shortcomings, failures, and sin, then I have a responsibility. I freely receive that. I've got to freely give that. And we, as a church, we walk into this political stretch and we say, you know what? I am going to do my part to extend the love of Christ. Yes, I've got some convictions. Yes, there's certain things I'm going to vote for. But you know what? God's love is bigger than all of that stuff. And if I fail to, to exemplify that, then I failed in everything else. God's love is bigger than me. Amen? 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.